0: Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey, as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head, but what if I saw me the way that you see me, what if I believed it was true, what if I traded this shame and self-hatred for a chance at believing. Welcome to episode 47 of the Lovable Podcast. We often confuse our passions and our skills, and this week we are going to unconfuse them. One of the definitions of passion we've been drawing upon is something we are extravagantly fond of doing. This is very different from something we are extra good at doing. One produces meaning in our lives, the other just tends to produce. This week we are going to talk in detail about the difference between passion and skill, how you might get more clarity in differentiating the two, And how that clarity can guide the use of the time you've freed up in recent weeks. Before we get rolling today, though, a couple quick notes. First of all, for those of you who are following along closely, I did get ahead of myself last week. The episode about vulnerability and courage will be next week, not this week. I'm sorry for the confusion. I hope you'll stay tuned in today and then check it out next week. Um, Also remember the comprehensive lovable study experience is available now. Everything we've been working through in this podcast, all of the written content, that goes along with the year of listening, loving, and living, as well as an individual and group study guide for Lovable. It's all available for free on my website. You can go there right now. Get it at drkellyflanagan.com/backslash experience. Again, that's drkellyflanagan.com/backslash experience. When you get there, you'll also find uh, all the instructions that you need for ordering copies of Lovable for yourself, your small group, or your organization. If you just want a copy for yourself, you can get it wherever books are sold. Also, while you're there, you can sign up for my mailing list at the top of the right sidebar. You'll immediately get a free ebook entitled The Marriage Manifesto, Turning Your World Upside Down, and you'll get a free sample of Lovable, and then each week, you'll get an email on Wednesday mornings with links to helpful content. All right now, I think we're ready. Let's get into this week's conversation, the difference between skill and passion, and how it can change your life. Thanks for listening in. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to week 46 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled You aren't here to be more happy, you're here to be more you. Now that you have spent a number of weeks clarifying your passions, creating space for them and becoming intentional about that space, we now want to make sure that you are filling up that space with the purest reflection of who you are. Specifically, do you spend your time on what you are good at or on what you are passionate about and how do we distinguish the two? Before we get into this week's content though, let's check in about your experiences so far in these months of living. Tell us more about the passions you are reconnecting with, what hurdles you are facing in doing so, and how you are clearing those hurdles or tripping over them. Everything's fair game. And specifically, if you have practiced last week's exercise, which was focused on explicitly identifying time to practice your passions and being faithful to that time, how did you do so? What worked and what didn't? And while you're thinking about what you want to share, I'll share with you my experience on the heels of last week's episode. um, I typically set aside um, specific blocks of time on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays for th- three basic things, for recording and producing this podcast, um, writing and, uh, and publishing a, a blog post or the next blog post, and then working on my next manuscript. I always have a manuscript that I'm working on. So I have these very specific set blocks of time. On Wednesdays, it's most of the day. Thursdays, it's um, 8 to noon. And then Friday, it's 8 to noon as well. Um, And so after last week's episode, um, and I may have mentioned this in the recording of the episode last week, I looked at my schedule for this week and realized that I had on each day, I had scheduled appointments on top of and into the time I had set aside intentionally for um, practicing my passions. And uh, so I did something. Um, I canceled each one of them. (laughs) Um, I I should say I rescheduled them. I rescheduled each of them. Um, I didn't give any great explanation, no apologies, just a simple, I need to reschedule our meeting for such and such a time. Uh, what works for you? Um, and I, I sort of wrestled with, is that rude? Um, do I, should I be more apologetic? And where I actually came down on it was I do need to be more apologetic, but to my true self, um, the self that I've committed to being faithful to <laughs> um, as well, and that I have obligations to that self, to cultivate it, to care for it, to nurture it. Um, and, uh, and and I've, I've been clear about the ways that I want to do that. And so um, to begin to neglect those ways is to neglect um, the true self, which is the foundation of my being and my ability to relate to others and my ability to love others well. And so if I'm not taking care of it, um, I'm really not, in the, in the long run, I'm going to take very good care of other people. So, um, so that was how... Last week's episode, and I gotta tell you, like, to see those times now unencumbered again this week just gives me such energy and excitement and, and enthusiasm for the week, um, so that I can then bring that energy to all my other uh, obligations. So, um, so that's that's how it affected me. Curious to hear from you again. Anything that you are working through in this uh, rediscovering and practicing of your passions, or anything related to last week's exercise about being very intentional and habitual in practicing them. Marie writes, firmly scheduling with my therapist and my centering time with God, not necessarily in that order, showed me how much others are often on the throne in my calendar and where my priorities are. That is, that's a really good way to say it, Marie. Um, that essentially we we place others in charge of our calendar uh, because others will want to get on our calendar. <laughs> um, you are worthy, you're valuable, you do have people who want to be in your life, to benefit from you, to just be engaged with you, and, uh, and those people will want to get on your calendar, and you'll want them to be on your calendar. I mean, in a way, that's the theme of this week's episode, that there are good things that we still shouldn't do. <laughs> you know, there, there are times where s- some things we're really skilled at, that um, that's not how we should be spending our time, just because we're good at it. Um, in the same way, there are, I mean, all three of the things that I had on my calendar in, in my passion space... Uh, were all good things. Uh, none of them were bad. Um, and uh, But I had let others dictate sort of when that would happen, not in a, like, they were aggressive sort of way, but I just didn't set boundaries sort of way. Um, and so they didn't know that they were dictating or in control. They just took the space I gave them. Um, and so kind of taking back, Marie, I think what you're saying is taking back control of and charge of, of that space, and uh, just letting people know that there's a boundary around it. Um, that is a an important practice. Brenda writes, I decided to guard my Mondays as my day of rest, and it's being challenged often. No kidding, right? Also decided to try practicing the piano for my own enjoyment. Took lessons when I was twelve. Never that good at it, but it's something I do just for my own peacefulness. Um, Brenda, <laughs> you somehow managed to to sort of capture the theme of last week's episode and this week's episode in one comment. This idea of guarding your Mondays, picking a time as a day of rest, um, as a day, you know, for me, that's Saturdays that I try to protect. Saturdays as a day of rest where I'm not producing anything. Um, Sometimes it becomes the most productive creatively because in that space of rest and and lack of ambition um your your true self is has more space to roam so um but to protect that space and to recognize that that's as valuable as any other space in your week that's so important and then you just nailed it um what we're going to be talking about today this difference between skills and passions right there's something in you there's we talk about this um our passions drift up from this holy place within us there's something in you that is saying try the piano it's been decades and you're not going to be any good at it but try it let that be something that your passions guide you toward right now and it's not about skill at all Um, it's only about following that instinct for your passions Um, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today the result for you uh, may not be productivity you know you may not be producing something with your skills but you are experiencing peacefulness um, as a result of it and that's exactly what we want to see us moving toward today. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Arlene writes, after a lifetime of giving myself and my time to my family, I'm finally enjoying the possibility of spending my time on my passions. I'm having a difficult time not feeling guilty about that though. Oh, I hear you. (laughs) Um, so like today, this week is a great example. Um, I have kids with a half day today and kids with a whole day off on Friday. And um, I have obligations to them. Um, I have um, obligations to my true self. Ways that I want to honor that, and finding that sweet spot where I feel like I'm sort of um, honoring all of my commitments in a way that feels balanced and and healthy. Um, that balance is it's it's something we need to strive to achieve. It's something we need to be aware of. But I suspect also that as you're describing Arlene, that um, that what most of us lean toward is feeling guilty about being in balance actually that we feel like we need to give far more to cultivating and nurturing the other commitments in our life than n- cultivating and nurturing the commitment to our true self so that when we're in balance it actually feels like Ooh, i don't i don't feel like this is right i feel like i'm doing something wrong and we need to be able to kind of learn how to persist in that balance exist within it and, uh, and to begin to let that voice of guilt or shame or whatever it is recede and, and let the voice of grace replace it that says you're worthy of this time, you're worthy of this space to be who you are, to practice what you love, um, and to let that voice guide us into a healthy balance with everything else in our lives. So I appreciate that because I think most of us who are starting to, to be more intentional about practicing our passions will encounter that, that voice of guilt at some point and, uh, and need to remember that it's not necessarily a sign that you're doing the wrong thing. It's probably a sign that you're doing a new thing and you need to be intentional and discerning in, in, uh, discovering the balance within that new thing. Debbie writes, still trying to figure out what my rhythm looks like. Got to read more of lovable this week. I'm so glad you got to read more Debbie. Um, and, uh, I trust that as you, as you read through that and continue to persist in." Um, In the the progression of this podcast some of that's going to become more clear Um, but we also need to be you just reminded us all of something which is that in a week you're not going to establish total clarity about um you know about the the time you want to allot to your passions what you want to do within that time in fact in preparation for this week's episode i went back Uh, I took the 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 practice that we're going to talk about in just a little bit, and I went back and I looked at a time that I practiced it about a year ago, and the notes I'd taken, and my conclusions today are completely different than they were a year ago. Doesn't mean that they were wrong a year ago. It means that my understanding of what my passions are and what my true self is longing for is constantly evolving, and uh, and so that's okay. Um, We're always trying to figure out what the rhythm of that looks like. Um, We don't ever quit. So you are you're in the, you're in the flow, Debbie. That's the important thing. Not that you've somehow arrived at a conclusion. Debbie writes, "I love that term, the voice of grace." Um, so Debbie, as I was writing, lovable, um, there were the the challenge that I faced was trying to intertwine several different themes, and really the, the 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 primary theme was the voice of grace. The way the voice of grace, if we can begin to make space to listen for it within us, reconnects us with our true self. Um, but there's also this theme of uh, Of the little one within us, being a representation of that true self, and then also the theme of our lives as a story, where we progress through three acts from worthiness to belonging to purpose. So, interweaving those three themes was one of the challenges of Lovable. And as you read more through Lovable, you discover that 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 thread of the voice of grace is is consistent throughout each of those three acts. So, um, I'm glad that you like it. As you continue to read, you're going to get a lot more of it. Shelly writes, this is my first time joining you live because I spent the last month or so reading your book and catching up on all the podcasts. Thank you for all of it. I finally got the courage to apply for grad school at the age of 41, and now I'm not feeling any fear, just pure excitement. I'm going to follow my passion. We celebrate with you, Shelly. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, I, I have a feeling that today's episode will be an affirmation of what you're doing, um, and uh, and that you will feel encouraged by it maybe more so than challenged. So I'm I'm thrilled to hear that. Um, and grad and grad programs by the way are so fortunate to have returning students, right? Um, people who have gone out and done some life and are coming back now with all of that wisdom, all of that experience and and always not out of a sense of obligation, which you know, sometimes in a grad program a 22-year-old is still it's all about ambition and conquering and uh, and usually returning students are coming back out of a sense of clarity and passion and a sense of who they are and add a richness to a graduate program so um, so yeah that you're gonna you're gonna bear fruit for everybody around you Shelly in, in your decision so good stuff thanks as always everybody for another thoughtful insightful discussion um, for sharing some of the ways that you are um, seeing your journey the hard work you're putting in the the work of embracing your worthiness and and revealing yourself and finding belonging and practicing your passions the ways you're seeing that bear fruit it's so exciting to hear about so um, thank you for that Um, and now let's transition into this week's reading Um, and it's about filling up the space we've created for our passions with our passions rather than our talents because you will be tempted to do what you are good at during that time it'll feel productive successful It'll come with a little bit more ease um, rather than what you're passionate about which might feel new scary uncertain difficult it'll be exciting but it'll bring all those other sorts of unpleasant arousals too so um, it's tempting to go with your talents rather than your passions um, and this might sound a little bit crazy i know because most of the time you're encouraged to do what you're good at Um, so I want to give you a little bit more context from lovable specifically, and then we'll get into the reading from the companion guide. So this excerpt is from chapter 23 of lovable, which is entitled the thing you never knew you always wanted to do. Uh, it begins on page 175 in the paperback version of the book. And then uh, I'll pull out the thread throughout the rest of the chapter. we will read that. And then we'll get into this week's reading in third grade. Aiden's teacher told us Aiden was quote depressed. I'm a psychologist. And when you use that word about my eight year old warning bells go off. Aiden had begun the year with a zeal for school and schoolwork, but he'd become dependent, despondent rather, and sullen in the classroom. Aiden has never been dependent. (laughs) Despondent and sullen in the classroom. I took him out for donuts and a talk, because any conversation is easier with all-you-can-eat donuts. Two donuts in, I asked him how he was feeling about school, half expecting a blank stare or a confused look. But before the words were out of my mouth, his eyes were filled with tears, and through trembling lips he said, It's just that God gives everyone a skill, and mine is school, and I don't want to disappoint anyone. Can a heart melt and a stomach cramp at the same time? Let me assure you, they can. I had no idea Aiden was already listening to the voice of shame. What I said to him next made him blink hard and look at me like I was a little crazy. I don't think God gives us our skills, I said. I think we get our skills by accident, like we get our hair color and eye color. I wasn't trying to comfort him. I was trying to save him the confusion I witness every day in my therapy office. And then that excerpt I've read at other places in this podcast, so I'll follow up with the story here with Aiden. Donut number two is completely forgotten, and Aiden's head was cocked in an expression of immense skepticism when I said, Maybe God doesn't give us our skills. Maybe the real gift is our passions. Maybe our passions are knitted into us, and maybe we were meant to enjoy them and to be creative in the world through them. Buddy, what do you think is your passion? His lips had stopped trembling, and he, he nibbled thoughtfully on the lower one. Then those lips curled in a knowing grin, and there were pools in his eyes again, but now they were shimmering with glee. He looked at me with confidence and said, I love to learn. This time my heart melted and my stomach flipped. Aiden does love to learn. He's enthralled by the world and wants to know everything about how it works. He tries to ace social studies because he's good at it and he thinks he should, but he gets lost in his Civil War almanac because he's passionate about it and it's what he wants to do. From the outside they look a lot alike. Yet, whereas the pursuit of good grades deprives the spark within him of oxygen, the pursuit of knowledge fans the flame. A Civil War almanac would put me to sleep, but it wakes him up. It wakes his soul up. The dictionary defines passion as an extravagant, a strong or extravagant fondness, enthusiasm, or desire for anything. Extravagant fondness. I love the sound of that. To live passionately is to be extravagantly fond of the things we are doing in the world. Extravagant fondness looks like the teenager who quits baseball so he can have more time to write poetry, because the lines of verse make his heart quicken. Or the kid who quits doodling in his notebook and joins the baseball team because the smell of an old leather mitt and the feel of a new leather ball make his heart pound. Or the college student who who changes majors way too late in the game because the psychology classes are leaving her hollow, but gazing up at the stars on that astronomy field trip last month ripped open a sense of wonder in her that she wants to live in forever. Or the middle manager who cuts back his hours so he can step into little league coaching, because managing grown minds is mundane to him, but molding young minds is enthralling to him. Or the young woman who quits her catering job so she can clean houses every day because a sparkling countertop is the way she wants to put her spark into the world. Or the young mother who pulls her kids out of school because her fondness for teaching cannot be tamed, and she's awed by the minds of her children. Or the mother who starts sending her kids to school after years of homeschooling because the desire to be a student again has been burning inside her, for over a decade and is finally shown through what is shining its way through all of your shoulds because something is shining inside of you and despite what you may be telling yourself you probably already know what it is i wonder what story aiden will tell with his life if he holds on to his extravagant fondness for learning and refuses to get distracted by his skillfulness at school i wonder what beauty he will make in this world if he does what he wants rather than what he thinks he should do I wonder what the third act of his life will look like if he continues to honor the little one inside of him who knows exactly what he's passionate about doing. And I wonder the same things about you. What would happen if you listened to that little one again? What would happen if you let yourself lean in the direction of your passion and started doing the thing you've always wanted to do? I have a couple of guesses. I'm guessing you'd start dabbling in joy, multiplying your energies, birthing creativity, shining your light, spreading your goodness, and lavishing your love. I'm guessing you'd start putting me, (laughs) the therapist, out of business one passionate day at a time. And that last line is a reference to the epigraph from the chapter. Um, So a little bit of context from Lovable um, in the form of a conversation with my son. Um, Now, as he's in high school now, um, again, he's had to find balance. Um, Grades are important. If he wants to get where he wants to go, he's going to have to play some of the game. It's not what he's passionate about grades, but he's going to need to do it. Um, while at the same time remembering that what's driving him is his passion for learning, not getting the grades. Um, So that's the context for this um, this week's conversation about skill versus passion. And now with that, let's get into it. It's week 46 of the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living, which is entitled, You Aren't Here to Be More Happy, You Are Here to Be More You. Once upon a time, my wife was the recipient of her college's Junior Faculty Achievement Award, a symbol of a promising academic career in bloom. It was awarded for excellence in research, teaching, and every other skill of the academy. She hung the placard on her office wall. She went on to run international research projects, head her graduate program, write a textbook, and mentor 24 students through their dissertations amongst countless other achievements, both large and small seven years later shortly after reaching the summit of the academic life tenure my wife resigned from her professorship in order to work in a small rural health center providing services to families who need help but usually can't get it her decision on the surface of it was perplexing at best and crazy at worst i've tried to explain it many times but this is the closest i can get she got a little closer to knowing who she is of course it would be easy to say hey we finally figured out who we are that old thing wasn't us but this new thing is life doesn't have an easy setting though Remembering who you are isn't an all-or-nothing endeavor. It's not a black-and-white thing. It's not a pass-fail assignment. The truth is much closer to this. Life is like a sieve, and everything we do runs through it. If we watch closely, we'll notice passing through the sieve all those things that aren't really us, and we'll notice captured in the sieve of life the parts of us that are who we've always been. Why did our family make such a radical move? I think my wife and I just shook our sieve long enough to want more of what kept staying in it. We watched our life long enough to desire more of who we already are. After all, the point of life isn't to be more happy, it's to be more you. During her last week of classes as an academic, my wife's students presented her with a painting of a tree, and it was a caption by a quote from one of her most important spiritual mentors, Henry Nowen. Quote, When we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand, When my wife shook her sieve, the trademarks of a professor, advice, solutions, and cures passed through, and what remained was her warm and tender hand, with which she wants to touch the wounds of the wounded and share the pain of the world. Her academic office was in one of the most important buildings on the campus of a prestigious college in one of the most affluent towns in the country. Her new office is in a rescued building reclaimed by an unproven health center in a small out-of-the-way town in rural Illinois. On the wall of her new office will hang the symbol of who she is, a drawing of a tree and words about wounds and tenderness. And packed away in a closet at home will remain the symbol of who she was, a junior faculty achievement award that passed through the sieve. The point of life is to be more you. If your heart has always been drawn to the white-capped Rockies, but you spend every day designing computer chips in Silicon Valley, then you are ignoring the parts of you caught in the sieve. On the other hand, (laughs) if you've been tinkering with computers since the crib and have always dreamed of working in the tech industry, but you are stuck leading hikers into the mountains every day, then you too are ignoring what's in the sieve. You too are postponing the joy of being you. Follow your heart. Start by listening to it. You can trust it. It wants to lead you back to you. So that is um, for me one of the most poignant examples I've ever experienced in my life of someone, my wife in this case, who said, um, "I'm really good at doing this. I'm really skilled at doing this." no and I, and I mean this sincerely. no one can can probably do this better than me. I mean the, she had a great team in, in in the program that she was in, um, but she led that team to to um, turning that program into to an elite program in a very short time. She's good at it. And yet it wasn't where her passion um, was most salient. And so she chose to take what she was good at and go do something else that she was passionate about. Um, It takes a lot of bravery. um, (laughs) But I think what we want to be thinking about today is in these spaces that we've created for ourselves to practice our passions. My wife made that at a very that decision and that transition at a very global level in her life but every time we sit down to practice our passions we have to make that transition and that commitment from from sort of moving in the direction of doing what we're most skilled at during that time to actually doing what we're most passionate about Um, as you're thinking about how you want to react to that um, that reading and I'd love to hear your reactions to the skill this contrast between skills and passions um, I'll share with you one other quick way that for me this played out Um, Back in 2011, um, I'd created space in my life to really be intentional about growing my therapy practice. And I was passionate about my therapy practice. Um, I knew, based upon previous experiences about six years before, that I was really good at face-to-face marketing, especially with pastors. um, Because I had a lot of success doing that at the previous practice and growing that practice. So in 2011, I had the space to, to grow my current practice. And I knew what I was skilled at which was to go out and meet with pastors face-to-face um, and explain how we could, we could partner with, with churches and organizations to help them. and but I was good at that, but I, what I was passionate about was writing. I'd never written a word. I didn't know if I'd be any good at it. I just knew that there was this deep, deep desire in me to do it. So I decided that instead of spending my free time going out and scheduling meetings with leaders in the community, I would sit down at my computer and I would write and I would start a blog. Um, and the rest for me is sort of history. Um, but it was a decision not based upon what I thought my skills were, but what I knew my passions to be. Um, and so that's what I want us to be thinking about as we think about the space we've created in our lives, how do we fill it about, with what we're most passionate about rather than what we're most skilled at. And, and to keep in mind that that the, the irony of that is that passion is the fuel that builds skill. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers, um, wrote that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to achieve mastery. You can't practice anything for 10,000 hours unless you are really passionate about it, <laughs> right? So ironically, it's not skill that leads to passion, it's passion that provides the energy to practice something long enough to develop skill at it. Um, and so we wanna make sure we get those in the right order in the space that we've created in our lives. Uh, so i curious to hear your thoughts and your reactions to these ideas heather writes following the heart trust it sums up this entire year for me um like the heather that that you as you shared with us earlier in this episode on monday you're beginning a new job and new relationships and after a year of deep pain and deep struggle and deep grief that you see this brilliant light coming at the end of this tunnel and that the only guide during that year was follow your heart trust it (laughs) um that we spend so much time looking to other voices for wisdom and for guidance. Um, When we have this voice of grace within us that is always whispering and always wanting to lead us um, along the path of who we are um, and encourage us to trust that path and that you've done that this year, that you are really a shining example of that for all of us um, and an encouragement to each of us that uh, maybe, maybe in the next, you know, as you're as you're contemplating this space in your life where you've created room to be who you are and practice what you want to do, um, that if you're seeking guidance in that, don't don't look don't look to what other people would say. Oh, you're really good at this. You should do this. Or boy, I bet if you did that, you could turn it into a really successful business. Or listen, listen to that voice that is drifting up from that holy place within you, leading you along the path of who you are. And follow that voice um brenda you gave a great example earlier today that it's playing the piano when you haven't done it since you were 12. for me in 2011 it was writing when i had never written anything creative i'd written papers for school i'd never written well that's not entirely true i'd (laughs) i'd written and forgotten the beginnings of novels stashed away on hard drives and somewhere another but i've never never really gotten serious about writing what is that what is your heart leading what is the voice of grace leading you to do in this space Debbie writes, love this story. It's challenging my thoughts. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear it, Debbie, because I think um, I think our thoughts are usually defined by sort of the messages that we took in at an early age, what we watch people around us doing. Um, they become these sort of givens. Well, this is just the way it is. Um, you figure out what you're good at doing and you go do it. Um, but maybe that's not the way it is. Maybe we need to challenge our thoughts and say, actually, I'm going to create one little space in, in my world where... Um, I don't default to doing the thing I'm best at doing. Um, instead I default to the thing I'm most passionate about doing and I let, I let my skill catch up from there. Um, or I let it eventually intersect me with something I'm skilled at, but it's not the guiding, it's not the guiding principle. Instead, it's just what I'm passionate about. Donna writes, Gary and I are listening in. Oh, Gary's with us today. Gary, so glad to have you tuning into, um, Donna writes, Gary and I are listening in and talking about this thing we're doing, taking a combination of passion and skill and diving into a new season of our lives. Change is hard sometimes, but here we go. It so helps to listen to you and recenter. So thank you again. You are welcome, Donna. And another shout out to anybody who's listening. Um, Last week, uh, weekend of April... Um, of 2019 we are gathering out in outside park city utah at um, right in the center of donna and gary's passion which is the for you ranch where they will be hosting a lovable weekend that uh, i could not be more excited for and uh, if you're interested shoot me an email um we are close to having official promotional materials ready but um but for now just shoot me an email and i'll make sure you're on the list of people who receive those um yeah you know um the We talked earlier in this episode about balance, right? Balance between nurturing our true self and nurturing those commitments we have in our lives to others. I think there's a balance here, too. Um, when, we, when, when what we're practicing, our passion, does intersect with our skill, that we let ourselves be guided in that by a balance of skill and passion. That it doesn't get wonky by going, oh, I'm really good at this. Well, I'm not really passionate about doing this part of it um but uh but i will because it's going to be lucrative or successful or get recognition or attention um and instead making sure that our passion is always coming along in that so it doesn't gradually drift off course into an ambition rather than a passion um so important and uh i know that the two of you are are wise and discerning and making sure that uh that you're staying on course there so glad we can be a part of of helping you do that shelly writes, like you said before, the world needs people who have come alive. So I've decided that I'll judge passion versus talents by asking myself if I'm getting excited thinking about it. If it brings me joy, real joy, that is my passion. It's a new feeling to get used to for me knowing that it's okay to go for what really brings me joy. Love that, Shelley. Um, and you're referring to a Howard Thurman quote in in Lovable, um, fantastic quote. Don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do it because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Um, and once you start following your joy like that and practicing your passion, what you discover is that joy is not the same as happiness. That Shelley, as you go through this graduate program that you're starting, that that program is going to be hard. There's going to be difficulties. You're going to have interpersonal relationships that shape you. You're going to have questions about your ability at times as you enter the most challenging educational experience you've ever had and yet you will be joyful that that joy is the energy that sustains you through hardship it's not the energy that disappears once things get hard um and 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 joy is so intertwined with our passion so yes um you are going to be joyful and let that let that lead you not if it's easy that's not the the question but is it is it joyful is it sustaining you Sherry writes, passion is the fuel that produces skill. That's so helpful. We just talked about this at our lovable study group Monday night. It's so freeing. We tend to think our passion has to be something we are naturally skilled at, but that's not necessarily true exactly. Also, I, also I'd recommend saying out loud in your spaces of belonging what your passion may be. It's powerful. Oh man, Sherry, that is such a, a, a wonderful observation and another great example of how these three these three journeys, worthiness, belonging, and and Passion or purpose are all really part of the same journey, and and they work together. Um, That when you express your your passion, when you name it out loud in your places of belonging, it's powerful um, because you're fully owning it. You know, I don't know that we fully own our passion until we've said it out loud to somebody who's going to be there tomorrow too. (laughs) You know, not just to a stranger on a train who we'll never see again and we can forget it ever happened, but somebody who's going to remember they saw you mentioned your passion and now want to hear more about it. Like you're fully in at that point. It is powerful. Um and thanks for studying Lovable. So so honored by that um, and would love to hear more about it. Marie writes, that's thought provoking to consider that passions can beget passions, primary leading to secondary passions. I wonder if that's what has tripped me up about what my passion is. Um that's and Marie that's what you're getting at is is the importance of the space of the faithfulness to practicing our passions, um, because, because it's an ongoing process of discovery. Like, um, (laughs) you know, okay, I'll start a blog and do some writing to promote my therapy practice, which I'm passionate about, but, oh. I remember those all those novels I started. I've always wanted to write a book. Let's be honest about. It. I'm passionate about writing a book too, right? Um, without the willingness to create the space to do a little writing to promote my therapy practice, I never discover that other layer of my passion. And so, um, so yeah, it's this ongoing process of discovery. But it can only happen within a, within the actual practice. It doesn't happen in the thinking of them about them. That's the irony. Thinking about your passions won't produce necessarily insights into deeper levels of them. Practicing them will. You'll discover yourself being led toward deeper and richer expressions of it. So um, so yes, let's make that space to practice and discover more about them. Okay, so let's, uh, let's keep this discussion rolling right now with the Week 46 practice, which is intended to help you tease out the skills versus passions in your life. The Week 46 practice. Our practice this week will build upon the practice from the last two weeks. More specifically, as you are increasingly thinking about the activities you want to subtract from your life and the activities with which you want to replace them, there will likely be one particularly troublesome category of activities. These are the activities you are good at. For instance, my wife was a skilled academic. She received many accolades for her teaching, research, and administration. Because she was good at it, it was easy to assume she was meant to be doing it. In other words, we tend to use skill as the sieve through which we sift our lives. If we are good at something, it stays in the sieve. If we are not good at it, it passes through. When my wife started using a different sieve, her choices became clearer. Her new sieve came in the form of a question. This is an old Benedictine spiritual discipline, by the way. Um, And here's the question. Does this activity lead to consolation or desolation in my life? In other words, does living this activity fill me up? make me feel alive and produce joy in my life, or does it ultimately drain me, make me feel dull, and produce sorrow and resentment?" While she was very skilled as a professor and she enjoyed many aspects of it, especially the mentoring, this question helped her to become aware that it was mostly a desolation for her. In contrast, her work on the side, providing care directly to children, was a consolation in her life. Where are you remaining engaged in activities in your life because you are skilled at them, even though you experience them as a desolation? This week, take some time to list the activities and commitments in your life that you committed to because you were skilled at them. Next to each, write consolation or desolation, based upon the criteria described in the last paragraph. By the end of this week, begin to consider how you can reduce the amount of time you dedicate to your desolations and increase the amount of time you dedicate to your consolations, regardless of the level of skill you bring to each. And remember, no need to do something radical like finding a new job like my wife did, unless you want to. But do choose activities you will enjoy making a daily or weekly habit of. Life is too short to let our consolations pass through the sieve. And by the way, for those who want to go deeper into this idea of consolations and desolations, um, I can't remember the name of the specific book, Um but it's by Joan Chittister, C-H-I-T-T-I-S-T-E-R, um, a Benedictine nun. And um, it was the book that my wife was reading as she was going through this process. Um, and it's, it's a practice that has become sort of a regular rhythm of our lives, checking in again with our consolations and desolations. It's fascinating to, to see how your, your, your life has sort of begun to drift off in the direction of desolations, not by any choice of your own but just sort of the natural pull of life upon you and and the intentionality required to get it back more on a path of consolations Um, so this is a regular rhythm of checking in on this and doing this exercise Um, And being clear this time through what what new things have I learned about my passion since the last time I did this and what do I learn in this this exercise so so Debbie has a question, um, which is what energizes me versus what drains me. Um, That is that's that's yes. Um, So and on the whole, right. So um, on the whole, uh, if I am faithful to protecting the times I've allotted for podcasting and blogging and writing a book. On the whole, does that time energize me? And the answer is a definitive yes. Um, on the whole, is it is it draining me? If it is, I need to ask myself that there's something, there's some desolation in it um, that I need to become aware of. Um, maybe that activity is being guided by something other than my passion at this point. What is what is that thing? So yes, that's a great way of thinking. It. What energizes me versus what drains me. Heather writes, hey, I'm ahead on this week's practice. I've shed so much this year to gather the good stuff to me. And I do hope that for, for some of you who have been sort of faithfully walking through this year of listening, loving, and living, and, you know, reconnecting, remembering your true self, revealing your true self to others, um, beginning to resurrect your true self through the identification and the practicing of your passions, that this activity feels like refinement um, as much as it feels like a challenge that, wow. This is what I've been doing. Now I'm just putting a little bit more structure to it um, and refining it a little bit more. Heather, I think you're a great, just you're a living example of that and and grateful for that. Brenda writes, turning a passion into a should do can seem draining when it's not my passion that is the problem. Um, That's exactly that, yes. So Brenda, there are two two phrases, I guess, that I would say to me that are red flags for shame, um, should do and supposed to. Um, so as soon as your passion, you start to think, I really should be doing it. What's happening is that shame is sort of coming in and is trying to hijack your passion away from you and turn it into um, something that you have to do to be worthy right and so a lot of times then we throw the baby out with the bathwater. we go okay well i guess this passion's bad for me because i'm starting to feel um, like it's a desolation like i'm weighed down by it when in reality no your your shame is creeping back into it it's turning it into a desolation Um, and it's it's a chance once again to pay attention to the voice of shame invite it into silence and to begin to listen for the voice of grace which will tell you how you actually want to practice this passion not in a should way, but I get to way. I get to do this. And if I don't, I'm still worthy. <laughs> now you're freed up to actually practice your passion um, from a sense of worthiness that, rather than shame. So that 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 is such an important observation for all of us. Thanks for sharing it. Joy writes, I jumped on 10 minutes ago and as always catch a gem from you. I'm about to work on my book. I do love my healing work and teaching workshops. That is my consolation. Doing the reaching out and marketing drains me. Not sure how to get around this. Um... So <laughs> that's a great, uh, um, it's a great question, Joy. It's a conversation that we're actually having at Artisan Clinical Associates, my practice in Naperville, um, where we are determined um, that every therapist is openly committed to two forms of marketing, um, traditional marketing, some form of face-to-face, going out there and you know, actually shaking hands with somebody, and some form of digital marketing, and that both of those forms of marketing be an expression of their passion. Um, and, and so it's, uh, we believe that that's really the only effective, authentic way to market is if somehow, um, that is an expression of who I am rather than something I've got to do to tell you about what I love to do, right? I have to tell you about what I love to do in the way, in a way that I love to tell you. (laughs) And so, um, so I'd encourage you to be, to be holding out hope that there is a way for your marketing to be an expression in some form of your passion as well, um, and to be thinking about what that might look like. Stephanie writes, I'm just coming back to believing that our hearts will drive our passions, but for a long while I hated that expression. When I heard someone say who was following her heart by falling in love with someone else's husband, I realized that indeed our hearts could be fickle or downright wrong, which brings validity to the scripture to guard our hearts. What I'm learning is to test these passions. A passion should never be destructive, obviously not healthy or energizing. Therefore, a passion should always be in service of something greater and healthy, not purely selfish. Maybe not the best comment for this episode, but felt moved to share this. Um, no, I think it's a good balance, Stephanie, for any time that we're talking about um, tuning into the voice of grace within us. Because w- one of the fundamental ideas in lovable is that most of us, for most of our lives, confuse the voice of grace with the voice of shame or the voice of grace with the voice of our ego. Or another way of saying it is we, we confuse the voice of our true self with the voice of our false self. Um, which is why sandwiching belonging between worthiness and, and purpose and lovable is so important. Because we need to be in places where we are revealing our our self to people in our fullness, and people who we trust care us and love us so they can give us challenging feedback. right? So if we say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing, And, uh, I think it's an expression of my true self and someone, and and someone we trust comes back to us and says that I think that's destructive and, and damaging. I wonder if you're getting confused about your voices and we can have that conversation. And maybe, maybe neither person is right. Somewhere in the middle is the is, is the truth. But that's the importance of having community to be um, engaged with and, and discussing all of this with. So, yes, yeah, Stephanie, thanks for that addition. It's always a helpful balance when we're talking about following our heart or um, connecting with our soul or listening to the voice of grace. All of those are sort of in the, in the same neighborhood and, um, and uh, they, they all need the checks and balances of the people we belong to. Paige writes, that phrase, life is too short has never motivated me. Life is too long to be doing. Th- Ooh, love that. Life is too long to be doing things that drain me. I can handle anything unpleasant for a short time, but the idea of suffering for years and years is what gets me motivated to make change. Paige, thank you for that. Um, and uh, it, it reminds me, it harkens back to our episode how hopelessness can become our best hope, um, where we went through an exercise where we imagined doing the same thing that we always do—the thing that drains us, the thing that leaves us feeling meaningless um, and we imagine doing that for the rest of our lives Uh, and that actually getting hopeless that things will ever change unless we become active and do something to change them can actually be a great motivator so we i think there's people out there right now who needed to be have that that phrase tweak life is too long to be doing the things that drain me that is a beautiful way to summarize it thank you paige all right everyone thanks again um, for just a really another wonderful discussion next week we're going to talk about Entering into the practice of the things that scare you. And we talked about, I I had suggested we'd be doing that this week, but I was a week ahead of myself. We're really getting to it next week. In other words, we're going to talk about vulnerability and courage next week. It'll be week 47 of the year of listening, loving, and living, which is entitled, What a Life of Vulnerability Really Looks Like. Until then, remember, you are lovable. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, This companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable.